0: Some 10 to 40% of businesses that prepared for sale never actually sell. That's one of the messages from my guest on this week's show, Daryl Bates Brownsword of Succession Plus. One of the key things he says, which really resonates with me as well, is that actually you can either spend three years after you've sold the business working the earnout in the hope that you receive some financial reward for the business, or you could spend that time up front of the sale to re- maximise the opportunity and de-risk the business, it's just a choice. Three years before or three years after. One you're in control, one it's in someone else's hand. Choose which one you want to do. So in this show, listen out for what Daryl has to say around how you can structure your business, how you can build a culture that really works for you and with your business, to help you systemize what you've got. So your business is more fun, less stressful, and more enjoyable generally for running. Think about from your perspective, what is it you want from your business? Look at how you can get it. That's the message from Daryl. Enjoy the show. And as always, if you have comments or questions, please drop me a note to phil at igniumconsult.com. And remember to leave a review of this show because that's the way other people find it. And we want this message to get out to as many people as possible. Enjoy it. So welcome back to the Sparks by podcast. My name's Phil Rose. I'm the host of the show, as you well know, and this show is all about how do we bring purpose and passion back into your business. We talk about igniting your spark or reigniting your spark if you've hit one of those chasms or brick walls and you need a bit of a, an energy boost. And today I'm with one of my friends from the last 12, 13 years or so, Darrell Bates Brownsword. Daryl is the founder of Succession Plus in the UK, and he has a context around how do you create and he wants to create the succession and exit planning industry in the UK. So let's just dive into the conversation. It's going to be a, lots of stuff to talk about here because Daryl and I, when we did our preamble for this, we came up with lots of ideas. So I'm hoping to keep this only to 45 minutes. But if need be, we might go to episode two. Watch this space. So Daryl, founder of Succession Plus, tell us about Succession Plus.
1: Well, yeah. Well, thanks, Phil. And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you you make it sound... Um... Perhaps even more interesting than 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 I find it. So, what is succession plus? Um, so, I've been working with the owner managed businesses, so mid market SME businesses, whatever you like. Typically, that two million to fifty million revenue range for most of my career. Really, yeah. I, I I learned early on that I wasn't good in the corporate role, and I liked the dynamic, the pace, the change of direction, the speed of. Owner-managed uh, businesses, and and during that time, so I've been doing that in the UK since two thousand and five, and for a few years, um, five or six years before that, uh, in Australia, maybe a bit longer. I'm I'm losing count every year. Yeah. yeah, And 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 during that time, you know, we I got really good, and 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 with the people I was working with, working with clients, and and understanding them how to grow their business, and understood patterns of growth. And how to help them build better businesses that they could be proud of and, and businesses that they enjoyed working in. Um, but I never really focused on exit because yeah. it just wasn't the era I was, I was working on. I was, I was, you know, performance and growth and, and helping business owners to work on their business rather than in their business. And every business owner seems to get that concept, you know, whether they're doing it or not, they, they're aware of the concept. But what I saw is that after I finished working with business owners, you know, a lot of them would, you know, they had the attitude that you'll let me build my business so it's big enough, or that, you know, that I get noticed and someone comes and offers, um, you know, to purchase me. And yeah. um, I never, as I say, I never focused on that area at that time. And and I just saw a lot of business owners, and and you know, some you know, when you work closely with a business owner for a number of years, you become quite friendly with them. And and I just saw a number of them going through and 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 being approached and 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 accepting offers and exiting their business and and what sounded really attractive and like a fantastic deal up front and and when they first signed up to it you know six 12 18 months later you talk to them and they look drained they look pale they look exhausted they look totally stressed and and it just didn't end up turning out you know the way they thought it was and there's always a number of reasons but you know often they would end up with with some sort of earnout agreement. You know the original price you know that was offered, you know when it came down to the brass tax wasn't actually the price that they agreed on at the end. Or if they did still agree to that price, there were a whole lot of really uh, restrictive terms and conditions that the owner had to, you know they they had the risk of owning and building their business for so many years. Then they still had the risk of you know, you know once the deal was signed of having this earnout agreement. That was just, as I say, onerous and yeah. put all the risk on them to try and get the whole, you know, purchase price effectively. Yeah. You know, what I learned is that earnouts really didn't work. They, they're just not in favour of the owners or the founders of the business, and you know, very rarely are they completed. Every now and then, you'll hear a story of how an owner, you know, completed an earnout, but it's more the exception to the rule. Yeah. And, and, and just what I saw and what I experienced is that what should have been the culmination, the highlight of the, the, the founders, the business owner's career, ended up feeling like a messy divorce.
0: Yeah. So, it's interesting. I, I can relate to that. Just, just having talked to people over the last few years who have been through this process. Uh, one business in 2010, I came across who, you know, they, they had an earn out, uh, agreed with a, with a purchaser, and that didn't come to fruition. And then more recently... Uh, some friends of ours who ran a travel business in the UK, specialising travel into France, uh, their earnout was tied to the success of the new business that brought them out, uh, and COVID hit, so travel industry went downhill. Now they've they've struggled to make it work since then. But actually, exactly that they were they were tied to that travel organisation, and, and something out of their control took precedence. So they and I don't know the details on it financially, but I know it's cost them a lot of time and anguish to look at how do we get any money out of this deal that could have been there prior to COVID. And obviously, COVID changes everything for them. External factors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So all of that experience led, led us to start Succession Plus. Okay. Interesting backstory. One of my clients in Australia had started Succession Plus, a, a previous client. He started Succession Plus about 12 years ago um, after you know, I moved to the UK. And, and so I got back in touch with him and I said, look, I have a feeling, yeah, I've just got the sense that we need something like this over here. I couldn't find anyone focusing on on you know, their primary focus on helping business owners prepare their business for exit so that they can get the most of their life's work and exit on their terms. So I said, well, let's bring it over here. And, yeah, you know, that was a couple of years ago, just before COVID. I
0: love like that. Good timing. I love like what you just said, though. You said about exit on their terms, you talk about their life's work. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? Because a lot of us put a lot of energy into our own businesses, and we're we're building something, we're creating something. Often, people don't have the vision of what they want ultimately, but they're doing something at the time. It's actually you know getting the uh, their life's work to come fruition, where they can make the money or the financial sense out of it longer term. I think that's one of the key pieces.
1: Yeah, it, it is important, Phil. Especially when we're talking about entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are very visionary. They've got these big ideas. They're they're, they're future looking, and And when I say make the most of their life's work, I didn't necessarily say make the most money. Yeah, yeah. Business owners are always very passionate about the people who help them get there. So getting the most of, you know, it's effectively the next opportunity for them. And, and, you know, exit is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for them to go on and do something else. And it's an opportunity for someone else to come in and and have a new vision for the business and take the vision uh, on the uh, the business on its next part of its journey. Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, they you know, business owners we all know that treat their business as their baby i know my parents when they when they created their business in 1982 you know that was their baby you know they'd had two sons me and my brother actually their next one was the business which they carried through and they ran that for um just over 30 years um and i think there's something in that in terms of how do you build that business up and how do you take it there so the bit you mentioned is you know leave on their terms it's not about money it's about something else there it's the entrepreneur with that vision and they want their their business to be looked after to the next generation sometimes
1: and it's. If- it's not totally about money but it is very much about money because as you say you know the, the, the business owners you know your parents for example they work a business for 30 years and often they think of their business as their pension
0: yeah
1: rightly yeah. or wrongly perhaps more wrongly you know, entrepreneurs neglect um, you know investing saving for retirement planning outside of their business they just see their business and the investment in their business and time and and they see their business they've got is their nest egg and they've got all their eggs in this one basket, this one business basket. And rightly or wrongly, yeah, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some opportunities that if you think wider than that, you know, for example, what I've seen is when, when business owners have that energy that everything is all in the business, this internal anxiety that's always there and it's kind of, it's all riding on the business I've got to make the business work. The business owes me X, I often hear, you know, one mil, two, five mil. The business owes me this money. And what they need to do is when they know that they've got a whole lot of investments outside of their business and that they're secure outside of their business, they actually become better leaders inside the business. You know because that all that internal stress is gone and they're not worried about it anymore because they're there they're now working on their terms because they know they're they're independently you know could could cope anyway. So they actually make better decisions because they're not all dependent on you know this is my money. They yeah. stop thinking of the business money as their own money as well. So there's there's a whole lot more to it than just what it first appears on
0: paper. Yeah and it's interesting so so I was going to ask you at some stage about the, the process you go through maybe this is a good time to jump into that because I think yeah, a lot of business owners um, react to the potential to sell the business. Uh, and my parents have listened to this, so I can say this, but they probably didn't think about the exit plan way in advance of when they exited. I uh, you know they got to an age where they decided they wanted to close the door. My father wanted to re- retire um, or, or, you know, hang his boots or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and somebody came along and, and said, we'll buy the business. They hadn't planned it in terms of what they were going to do. So, so, from your perspective, when do you expect or when do you hope someone gets on board with this journey up front of the sale position?
1: Well, yeah, it's like the question, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, you know, 200 years ago. When's yeah. the best time? Now.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: So look, and business owners, again, it's what are the, one of the cliches of, of running business, I'm going to get out of the business in three years' time. And three years is actually a good planning horizon to be working towards because we can, you can have an impact and make a difference to the intangible assets on a three-year horizon. Less than that, you know, if it's six to 12 months, you can tidy up the profits. You can, you know, you know get, you know, it's like getting a rental property ready for, for a quick sale, a quick turnaround, and you can tidy up and you can make a difference. But if you've got more time, you can make a big difference on the intangible assets and therefore you know the multiplier type value on the business
0: yeah okay so but, so, so really uh, if you know three year horizon is an ideal time period
1: yeah and longer if you can because if if you have a business that's exit ready it tends to be a more profitable business and more fun to run anyway mm-hmm. so okay. the longer you, the, the better there
0: yeah okay since you made about more profitable fun so I think this is one thing and if you come back to that money side do you find anyone you work with gets the point of sale and decides they don't want to sell because they've now got a business which is running smoothly and they can just carry on doing it yes okay and then they come back around eventually to want to sell it
1: well exactly so so sometimes business owners you know they, they make the decision that they want to get out because it's just too stressful and they they don't want to do it anymore it's just it take over their whole life you get the business exit ready The business is more resilient. It doesn't rely on them so much because they've effectively had a career change. They're now running the business rather than operating the business. Um, So they've got a different role. And uh, with that different role, you know, the business ends up becoming more profitable and it's not as stressful. It is more fun. And they go, you know what? I might just run it for a couple more years because I'm enjoying it so much. I've fallen back in love with my business. Um, And I I want to go out on a high.
0: Yeah. Interesting that thing about falling back in love with your business, you know, one thing I always talk about is, you know, reigniting your spark, reigniting your passion for your business. Because actually, as you go through that journey, it's sometimes, you know, often people think, why am I doing this? What's the reason for it? But that thing you said about falling back in love with your business, if you can rekindle that, you've then got a business which is more fun to run and actually the employees turn up in a better shape because you're turning up in a better shape to start with. Yeah, That's exactly. It makes a big difference to the energy in the business, effectively.
1: Well, um, it, it's a good point, Phil, because, you know, we always consider that there's two sides to running the business. There's the cultural aspects and the commercial aspects. Yeah. And it's, I know you talk a lot about vision and culture and, and future looking, and yeah. that, that's to me very much culture yeah. um, and the commercial out, you know, is the, the, the commercial side of that. <clears throat> yeah. And you talked about, you know, purpose plus passion in it before um, I, I've referred to um, you know, a little formula, a business formula, and that is purpose plus passion equals profit. If you focus on the purpose of the business and where you're going and why you're in business, and then you've got the cultural style and the passion to run it, the natural outcome of that is that you're going to have a more profitable business. Whenever I see businesses that are profit-led, they, they, they start with the spreadsheets and they do all the profit first. They tend to have no soul. So yeah, they're always looking at margins and yeah. it's not as enjoyable place to, to work in. Yeah. So. Uh, interestingly, the, the businesses that are always profit first
0: uh, have
1: less profit in, on you know, as a general rule.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's, you know, that thing about that balance between the two, culture and commercial, I think, you know, right, we always say that, you know, you work on the commercial side and it's, you know, revenues up, costs down, up, profits up, but it doesn't make it a nice place to work because actually you can go to any business and, and do that. But is that what we really want? Um, and I wonder, coming off the back of this last 19 months of pandemic, I wonder whether employees now want more and owners want more from their business, which is more about their lifestyle and that balance from it. I don't know, have you you seen anything with people expressing different needs or wanting different things from their businesses in your conversations?
1: I see a lot of changing expectations um, and business owners struggling or trying to figure out how to cope with that. Um, Because of the wider acceptance, it's almost like there's a power shift of of employees saying, hey, I don't want to work from the office. Okay. and the employees going, or the employers, the owners going, but this is a small business, you know, yeah. the office is a big expense. What do I do? And uh, hang on a minute, getting everyone in the office, the culture is such an important part of this business. Yeah. Yeah. Energy, um, you know, that's an important part. If we have everyone working away from the office for, for big, big chunks of time, will we lose that culture? What, what will happen to the, the dynamics of how this business is run and that secret source that makes it so special? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's you interesting. You don't get that over Zoom. Yeah, you don't. You don't. And it's interesting because that secret source. You know, as a as an acquirer coming into a business, um, how much do you see people wanting the profitable side of the business versus the secret source side of the business? Because you know, the secret source is the longevity for the future. I would have thought. Have you got a way of measuring secret source versus profit? I haven't got a way of measuring it um, because it's, you know,
1: secret source is literally an intangible. And historically with businesses, you know, we're, we're, we're um, guided by our accountants and the accountants are guided by what can be easily measured and profits can be easily measured and managed. So profits and tangible things get put on our balance sheet. Yeah, how do I measure secret sauce? How do I measure the value that the culture adds to a business? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: So, but interestingly, if you have a look at how businesses are actually valued, um, one of my contacts was, was sharing with me and showing me that actually 90% of business value today is based on intangibles. Wow. 90% is intangibles. So if business owners said that's stuff that doesn't appear on your balance sheet, which when you stop and think about it and go, well, hang on, well, most of our businesses are service-type businesses today, mm-hmm. was my argument. He said, well, no, if you think about it, if you run a manufacturing business, your supplier list your contracts are all intangibles. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Your your processes, your your quality system, your, your staff retention systems, your training, your induction, your, whatever it is, everything in your business that adds value and makes staff love it and makes them want to stay and helps you retain staff and, and you know, your training and everything is, is intangibles. You can buy a piece of manufacturing plant and you stick it on your factory floor but everything you need to get the most of that out of that piece of plant is intangible.
0: Yeah, yeah. So actually, that's interesting, isn't it? So, so I was going to ask you that question about how do you measure it? But you've said it there, you know, so supply list, the contacts, the process, the staff systems, because you're right, piece of machine running its own is not going to make it work. But actually having the processes to get your throughput, to get the culture working. So people come to work and know how they're running the business. Actually, you've got a system in place that the business does the same thing day in, day out and, and, and makes it work properly. That's the yeah. intangible piece.
1: Absolutely. And even just down to the basic training of how to use the, the machine or the equipment so that you're getting the most out of the equipment. And at the at the simplest level, like just training mm-hmm. on how to use the machine in the best way possible. You know, never mind then the cultural bits of going wanting to be able to use the machine and wanting to get it to perform at as high as yeah. standard.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting because a lot of people talk about, culture as being the you know the fluffy you know stuff that just in the side there but actually you and i know that culture is the thing that bonds it all together and what you've just said there is you know if you've got the right culture people come to work they want to work in the business they're going to build their systems up they're going to be part of it but obviously there's a bit of a, a, a pull on that so when you talk to your your potential clients at the moment how many of them get this before you talk to them how many of them understand culture's key versus i just need to make money what's the what's the split do you find difference well Again, they're just conditioned over the years to, to you know,
1: accept that, you know, that they're aware of this culture thing, but they don't know how to measure it. If you do a Google on culture, yeah. there are so many different views. And, it's, and, and why is it considered fluffy? Because all the definitions that you'll find on, on, the, you know, on a Google search are fluffy because there's no agreed consistent way on, on how to measure and, and manage culture. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's getting the most out of our, out of our people. Culture is is, is is the desire or the people wanting. How do I get my people? How do I align my people? And I and I deliberately use the word align as opposed to get them to buy in because I'm not trying to sell them anything. I'm just looking for people who are aligned to what I want to achieve as an yeah. entrepreneur. And, yeah. and, and if I've got a vision, if I tell them that vision and I tell, talk about my style as an entrepreneur, not just me, all entrepreneurs, you know, then then they will naturally go, hey, look, I love what you're saying. I want to go on that journey with you. Mm. Yeah, because even leaders crave good leadership. So yeah, I think the cultural side of things is is, you know, it was it um, Drucker that said culture eat strategy for breakfast.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: A, a good culture is the bread and butter, you know, and because and I don't know. Look, we've got to figure out how to get it on the balance sheet, or, yeah. or you know how, how it adds value to the business. I've you know you can look at things and going look. Well, I've got far less staff turnover compared to the the norm in my industry. Well, these are cost because every time you bring someone new, you've got to retrain them. It's three to six months before they they're, they're really adding value. So you've yeah. got to invest in them, and then you've got the re- actual recruitment cost, and then you've got the the risk of rework. Um, there, yeah. there are definitely some hard costs yeah. or hard yeah. um, value drivers to, to culture. Yeah. And it's um, interesting aside, it because... Sorry, Phil, just one more point. Aside from it, just being a much nicer place to work with people that fit in and it's just more enjoyable. Yeah.
0: And, and it's interesting. I was, when I talked to over you, I was able to say, you know, if I went back to my MBA times from 20, 20 years ago, you know, the McKinsey 7S model was one thing that everyone talked about. And in the middle of that is shared values. You know, how do we get that shared values to run through what we're doing? I think that's it. If we've got shared values, it's going to be a nice place to work because you and I buy into the same way of working. It doesn't mean we've got the same values, but we've got values that are consistent to are working through. And I think that's a big piece. So even, you know, 20 years ago, Astrid, we talked about that. That McKinsey model, I don't know when it was created, but it's still valuable now in terms of understanding it. And there you've got strategy and shared values in place to help you build a better business.
1: Well, I think humans have been, um operating for for thousands of years in the same way so uh, the fundamentals don't change you know we, we just try and get smarter about how we do it and um yeah you know, I, I think it's it, it's easier to prove that when you have people pushing in the same direction i was talking to a a, a, a client of mine recently who's an ex-professional footballer and i said you know, tell me how i said i've got some theories here what do you reckon how do you know I've, there's some sports correlations I said this, and I started testing all my theories. And he said, "Look, that's exactly how it works in in the professional sports team. You know, we we're surrounded with a whole lot of support staff. If we if we don't treat them well and we don't respect them and and the values that the, and the the value of the role they play to the business, mm-hmm. he said, the team falls apart." Yeah. Yeah. He says, "And and what's important is is we've got the captain, and the coach, and the manager in the team, and they hold us to account. And what they do is if someone displays behaviors that don't fit in." You know, like someone wanting to be a, re- a renegade and, and and a star in their own right. You know, because a uh, a champion team will always be a team team of champions. If someone yeah. wants to fly their own flag, he said they get called to account really quick. What happens generally in business is we just accept it. We don't hold people to account. We don't go, you know what? Yeah, it's not going to work here. Yeah. So yeah, you, know, you have a look in pro sports and and you have a look at you know, the way coaches work in pro sports as opposed to the way coaches are. Uh, uh, are working in 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 business yeah. you know they're in your face a whole lot more in pro sports and if you misbehave or, or or do some behavior that doesn't right they're in your face and they're letting you know that that was wrong yeah. it's not all nicey nicey you know how can we do better it's it's they let you know you did wrong first and then they'll work with you to improve the behavior yeah. there's no messing around
0: yeah so uh, I think sometimes
1: that's really- you, you really need contrast
0: yeah and it's interesting, isn't it? work. And that's, you know, the, the, the book that comes to mind when you say that is the, you know, the, the New Zealand All Blacks talking about the book Legacy. And that's exactly yeah. there. about you know, you've got to call it out. And, uh, and there's a couple of things that I always think about there is, you know, everyone sweeps the dressing rooms after a match. Uh, and the, uh, the no dickheads policy, which always to me, you know, it doesn't land well with English businesses. But actually, that's what it is. You've all got to pull the pull together. You've got to do this stuff together. And I think calling people out on that is one of the key aspects of it. And it takes balls. To have a no yeah.
1: dickheads policy, and, yeah, you know, it, it sounds great and it sounds romantic and all the best. But, oh, we all want a bit of that. But to actually live by that, that means you have to go, Phil, you're behaving like a dickhead. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah, to fit in off.
0: Yeah, yeah. We don't want prima donnas in our business. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you yeah. actually have to point it out. And now, the culture will dictate the way you point it out.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you, you know, you and I talk about culture as being, you know, the, the energy, the mood, the tone, the, the pulse of the business. But it's the leadership that set that. But the business people have to buy into it as well. So it's all that, that coming together to make the culture really fit.
1: Absolutely. They, they have to. Now, you asked me earlier about culture and, and business owners, you know, um, thoughts on culture and whether it's fluffy. Mm. The reality is the culture is led from the top. Yeah. Now, whether it's conscious or not, it's happening and it's led from the, the top. And the culture is simply just the behaviors or the, the, you know, the behaviors that you accept in the organization. Someone once described it to me as the minimum standards. Yeah. You know, because as the leader of the business, if you let someone get away with something or let someone behave a certain way, then you're accepting that behavior. And if you're, if someone, you know, behaves in a certain way and you you you, you pull them up on it and you go, ah, you know, mm-hmm. that's not the way we do things around here. Rather, yeah. you didn't do things that way. Yeah, they'll learn fairly quickly, but you yeah. need to be consistent. That's like parenting.
0: So yeah. tell it's me about
1: it. Winting it out. Well, exactly. We've, we've all done it with our kids, haven't we? You all, We've all gone to our kids, you know, when they're young, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we train them as kids, and when they become adults and contributing members of society, they've learned and they, they learn what's socially acceptable, yeah. you know, just from the behaviours we accept and the behaviours we reject.
0: Yeah, that's true, isn't it? So I think one thing you just, just – I just want to just, just think about process in that case. You talked about, you know, one of the key things about Succession Plus and, and how do you get businesses to scale and grow is actually about building them on sound principles. So one of these principles is about the culture and the values and the way we do things there's lots of, other, lots of other bits that fit into your succession plus toolkit about building principles in the business what what else are those principles what do they look like
1: so look we've got some we've got a framework and a toolkit of ip what i've what i've learned is that you know ip you know a, a model or a framework you talk about the 7s model yeah. Uh, it yeah call that a piece of ip now i i've are a big fan of, of what I call proposition IP. Okay. So if you have a look at the way IP has evolved throughout the, the economy, we started off with product IP. And product IP is when we, manuf- we manufactured and we had a goods economy. I could make a widget and I wanted to protect that widget from being copied. So I, I protected it and had some product IP around it. Yep. In later um, generations, we've become a service-based economy. And a lot of professional services... <clears throat> You know, when you're working with them, they go, look, Daryl, it's a really good business, but I just can't find good people. And I go, well, what do you mean? And they go, well, this business, it's a professional service, for example. And the only way it works is we've got to get the best people out there. And I go, well, that's interesting. Well, if you, what IP have you got to, you know, for the people? And they go, oh, no, 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 look, this is, a, you don't understand, Daryl. This is a professional service. So they've all got their own IP. They're trained to these standards. And we've just got to find the best people out there. I said, so there's no variation on on how they can work in that business and your business. It's exactly the same everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and I say, well, look, what you you've constructed your business so that you're vulnerable to to people. You've built your business around key people, and therefore it's around those key personalities. You've just built in vulnerabilities. Oh, and on top of that, when you're selling people and services, you, you you. you know, selling hourly rates only only adds to that problem.
0: Yeah. So if
1: you're selling hourly rates, then you've got key people, then you have to get superstars so you can get higher hourly rates and, and hopefully higher margins. What if we 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 learn just a little bit from McDonald's and I know it's not a professional service, but it's still a service. What do McDonald's do? They go, well we've got a standard way of doing things to get the outcome we want, mm. first we do we get clear on the outcome we want. And then to achieve that outcome, then then we need to follow some standard ways of doing things. And the Japanese started this with a quality management system. Is it Deming that comes to mind?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. quality management system and said, here's here's the way we follow a process to get the same predictable outcome. Yeah. And a lot of businesses have started to jump on this and they go, oh, look, here's our six-step process. Here's our five-step process to get the outcome you want. And I've gone, look, it's a great start, but clients couldn't care less about that. Imagine you went to a restaurant and, and you ordered a steak and they said, well, great, Daryl, no problems. How would you like your steak? And I go, medium rare, nice, thick, juicy steak, medium rare, thanks. And they go, no problem at all. Here's our six-step process. Just to let you know, here's our six-step process on how we cook this steak, medium rare. I'd be sitting there. I don't care less. You're, you're a restaurant. I expect you be able to cook my steak the way I asked it. I don't need to know what your process is. So... Six-step process or process IP is great. I want to know that you've got it in your business, but I don't want to know how you do it. Yeah. Now, if you had some sort of model which described to me your proposition and how that was valuable to me as the customer and the value and the benefits I get out of you following your six-step process, for example, let's call that proposition IP. Now that's valuable to me to a client. So so they're all the tools that we've put together. We've put together a number of tools. We've got the process IP in Succession Plus, and the process IP is that we've got 21 steps that we've recognized that a business needs to have all these 21 steps to be exit ready and mm. for exit. Clients couldn't care less about the 21 steps. They they like to know we've got the 21 yeah. steps. But we've got some other frameworks as well that that describe to the client about what we do in their business and 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 how it's valuable to them. So, for example, we've got we've got something we call the seven levers, which describes to the business how working on the intangible assets will increase the valuation of their business and give them a better business to run. Now, that's something that captures their attention.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we haven't got a bunch of professionals out there running around selling hourly rates. Um, you know, saying, buy me, buy me, buy me. I'm, I'm a superstar. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've done it a number of times. I know what I'm doing. Trust me, Yeah, you know, it's a good one. What we do is we all go out there and go, here's, here's what we do, Mr. Client. And we yeah. present it in some process IP. Um, 375 is one of our tools. And they go, ah. And when you share some IP with a yeah. client, some really well-constructed proposition IP, the client goes, oh well, that makes so much
0: sense Yeah. now that you describe it to me like that yeah so it's the proper so so what I'm hearing there is it's just the proposition that as you come back to your steak analogy I don't want to know how you're going to cook the steak I want to know the proposition of what the steak will be like when it's finished but I don't need to know the 21 steps you're going to go through or the seven steps you go to to make that steak happen you're saying actually the key bit there is that it's the proposition is what the client's buying into because they're understanding what they're going to get from it which is the you know, typical features and benefits. You're selling the benefits within that proposition. Effectively. Yeah,
1: kind of. And, and it's a bit of an extension. If you did sales training 20 or 30 years ago, they used to talk about sell the sizzle, not the steak.
0: Yeah, and, yeah.
1: So it's a bit about going, hey, well, look, if you've got the sizzle, what, how are you going to feel if you get that sizzle type of thing? What's the value of the sizzle to you? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. And, and we'll give you some assurance that we'll give you that every single time yeah. because okay. we've got our six-step process.
0: Yeah. Love it. And I love that thing there about is how you're going to feel once you've got the sizzle. So it's that key bit there. So so from a business owner, if I'm if I'm running my business, you know, take my parents. They run the business from 1982. They they decide they want to sell. Theirs was an engineering business. So they were they they, they were doing things in boats. They were making sure your boat ran smoothly. But when they came to sell it, there was a marketplace for that type of organisation. So if you were working with an organisation that had some IP effectively around how to make their boats go faster, how to make them smoother, now, I wouldn't call it IP when I look at what my parents were doing, but actually it was still a business that they consistently produced good results.
1: Yeah, well, it's IP if if they can train an employee how to do it and an employee how to communicate it to the client. So the, yeah. so the employee is now talking about what they do and, and the process they follow or, or you know, the benefits of the process they follow rather than, hey, it's all right, Mr. Client. Yes, I work for Acme Limited. Um, but hey, I've done this for many years. I know what I'm doing. You're just relying on the human skill and experience. Yeah. And that makes when the business has a whole stack of employees that are relying on their skill and experience, the business is vulnerable. Those yeah. people leave, all their expertise leaves. The expertise resides in the people rather than the business. It's just totally vulnerable. And you don't have that, you know, internal intangible asset ip built into the business yeah once we demonstrate that the ip resides with the business rather than the people yeah you're adding a lot of value to the business
0: yeah yeah it's interesting i was i was saying to you before we came on air so to speak that my daughter's got a job working for a for a ski company for the next six months um and she's out in the alps at the moment training and what i what i've heard in fact i've heard very little from her but what i've heard from her is they are going through a training program to learn how to do the things the way the company wants them to do it because they're working she's working for a top-end ski company and they have a set process on how things happen and I think it's just the process I'm hearing exactly that they've got a process they need to be able to delight the customers if they come back for for regular ski holidays and they need inexperienced people who they can train to do it the same way time and time again so people like my daughter who's an 18 year old Actually, they can go through the process, and the end result of the training is they have a process which they can then apply, which ensures they get the same result for the customer time and time again, irrespective of who the people are, attitude aside.
1: Absolutely, and that's look, and then and then the tools to deliver that is probably going to be a combination of face to face. Yeah. And we all know that if you attend a face-to-face training program, you're going to remember about 10% of it. So you want some reminder video snippets that are yeah. you know, minutes each, and, and you might want a checklist that I can follow just to make sure I do it the same every time. Yeah. And just remind me. So I don't miss anything out. Yeah. You know, there, there could be some, you know, document type instructions. You know, some people like to read, some people like yeah. to watch, some people like to experience. We all like a bit of all three. Um, so I'll bet there's a bit of that in there as well,
0: by the sounds of it. And it's interesting, it comes back to that policies and procedures, isn't it? But what you're saying there is it's you know, having the procedures documented in different ways, so it's videos, so everyone can do it. But then you've got that consistency. So, so the bit that I'm taking away from that is, if you've got a business where you're relying on people to show up and do the work, and you're relying on their own skills that they're bringing with them, actually, you've not got something that's consistent. You can't control that process. And therefore, the customer might get a different product at the end of the day, or an outcome at the end of the day. As you're sort of talking here that the proposition IP is ensuring we get the same product same process same so same same outcome every time we do it and that makes the business more valuable because anybody could then buy it and inherit that process and makes the business work consistently going forwards uh,
1: uh, yeah yeah you've got a track record of demonstrating that you bring people in you train them up in your way of doing things yeah. that way is consistent so the outcome for the client is consistent, predictable and reliable because yeah. Yeah, people on, on their own are inherently unreliable. Yeah, they change, they have mood. So we need tools and systems and processes to make sure that it happens the same way. Now, at the same time, you need these level of skills, uh, tools um, and processes and systems, but you don't want them to suck the life and the fun out of doing the job. Yeah. They just need to be there at the right level yeah. to you know act as prompts and reminders, you know, so that it doesn't take the fun and the, and the you know the professionalism and and the talent out of doing our job. Yeah, we, yeah if we've got professional people, you know, they they want to express some some level of creativity. Um, so yeah. so the 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 frameworks and guidelines we need to give them need to be at the right level so that they're not totally prescriptive.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. and and if it's a a low-level task, then, yeah, it needs to be prescriptive. And, uh, you know, if it's, uh, yeah, depending on the, how important it is. But um, yeah. when we're talking professional services, for example, we need to pitch them at the right level.
0: Yeah, get that.
1: Have those reminders and guidelines and, and, and proposition IP, you know, so that we don't have just a whole lot of people going, hey, I want to do it my way, which yeah. actually variability.
0: Is- so so one of the questions I've got mind in that case, so when, when people come to you, they've decided what to sell their business, they, they, they look up um, selling my business consultants people. What do they, what do they look for? Who, how does someone find someone like you, Darry, who's building a great business in the UK, built up 12 years ago by Craig? Um, what do they go looking for?
1: Well, it's interesting because they don't know what to go looking for because the
0: industry, if you like, doesn't exist. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's exactly what I'm thinking. There's
1: a broking and there's a corporate finance industry at one end and we don't sell businesses. Yeah. Okay. Then there's a consulting industry at the other end. There's a whole lot of growth coaches and performance coaches out there. Um, But what I've learned since starting Succession Plus is that there isn't an exit planning industry. Okay. Yeah. And and we talked earlier about people who they know that business owners... They know they need to work on their business and not in their business. You know, mm-hmm. It's it's something that you know was, you know, Gerber you know, taught us that in the e-myth. Yeah. And business owner, yeah, most of them have heard of this concept. I need to work on my business. And if you talk about working on your business, not in it, they get the concept. Yeah. They may not be doing it, but they understand the concept. If yeah. you say to a business owner, hey, look, you need to get your business exit ready and you need to get your business exit ready before you want to exit. it's not an afterthought, they go, hey, wait, what? It's not a known concept. So we, part of what we need to do at Succession Plus is that we need to bring the message to the market so that business owners learn and understand that, hey, this is what I need to do to get my Mm -hmm. business ready. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm going to exit my business straight away, but if I'm exit ready, I'm going to be on my front foot yeah, it means that you know when when a deal does come that, that there's going to be less price chip. It means, Phil, one of the big things is depending who you talk to, yeah. only forty or ten to forty percent of businesses that go to market actually get sold.
0: Wow. Okay. And that
1: means up to ninety percent of businesses that go to market actually don't get sold. So if that represents your life's work and and your oh. and your pension or your your funding after, yeah, you know, that just disappeared, it evaporated. Mm-hmm. And this is changing with the the changing marketplace with the a lot more Gen X coming through and and Gen Y. Well, they don't want to buy your business.' They'll, they'll go, well, I'll just build my own, I'll move on to something else.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: So we've got to create something of extreme value that stands out in a really competitive market, and the competitive market now is the market of buying businesses. Okay. Not, not the products that those businesses sell. So we need to create our business that needs to stand out in the crowd so that you know, there's so many other businesses often like ours, whatever our business is, that are for sale. So yeah. we need to be more attractive to the buyers. So getting a business exit ready, we also need to consider how do I make my business attractive so that when I take it to market, they go, oh, look, that, yeah, I'll buy that business. Mm. Part of being attractive means that the deal will be easy. There's nothing complicated. There, yeah. there's, no, there's no skeletons in the closet. Everything is clean and prepared and ready. And in other words, low risk.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so say this. Risk it. So 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 this is this isn't about. And I use the word this isn't about window dressing to make it look good. You're yeah. actually making sure the business has got the, the the front end that looks good, but actually the systems behind it make it sure it's a de-risked business. So you know you mentioned there 10 to 40 percent of business never gets sold. Actually. There's a big issue there. You're trying to reverse that and say, actually, how do I get the, the percentage to lie in your favour as a seller of a business? Actually, Mr. Owner, you can sell it. It will work. Yeah. Well, okay. it's, it's de-risking it for the owners, the founders, yeah. and de-risking it for the buyers. Because I know that I'm going to get something that's workable and I can purchase your business and make it work afterwards.
1: Yeah. yeah. And that's why buyers want earn-out agreements, because they're just addressing their risk. They're going, hey, Mister Founder, you've said that over the next three years, here's what your forecasts are going to be, which yeah. they just made up because often they haven't been doing forecasts. But anyway, yeah. so we go, and so the buyers look through it and they've gone, okay, this forecasting mark is new for this business. Well, in that case, I want to hedge, I want to protect myself. So, hey, look, I'm not going to pay you for all of it until I see those forecasts are actually delivered. But if you've got a system that sh- you can show. You go here. Well, the management team do all the forecasts. Yeah, yeah. The management team have been doing forecasts for years. Here's the track record of you know, you know, their, their budgets and their business plans and delivering to that business plan and achieving it. Yeah, minimal input from me. Hey, mm-hmm. there's minimal risk for you, Mr. Buyer. Oh, and we stand out in the market, and here's our brand value, and here's here's our proposition IP, which is why clients come to us. Yeah. And, and this is what we sell to clients, and here's all the repeat business, and 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 and, and here's all the intangible assets. You know, we've de-risked it. We've made ourselves more attractive. And having said that, we still need to leave something on the table for the new buyers.
0: So there's an upside to you buying my business, not just exactly as it's been before. There's an upside as well.
1: Absolutely. We've got to make it even more attractive for them. And if we can help them identify that what that is, we're making life easy for them.
0: Yeah. So we we so,
1: really uh, want to de-risk it. We want to make it easier for the buyers. We need to stand out from the crowd. And, you know, it's actually better for the new buyers to not have you hang around as the past owner.
0: Yes, because I'll have my way of doing it and you'll have your way of doing it and I need to move away. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Depending on the nature of the exit. But yeah, look, it's often better to not have you around. Yeah. But no, I still no. need, to get, I need to get that revenue. You want me to pay for that revenue, the future value of the business, you
0: say it owes you exit now. Yeah. So,
1: you know, let's figure out, let's, let's help both.
0: Yeah. So, so the bit you said there, and I, I introduced this, this episode talk about you know creating the exit planning industry what i heard there is you know you've got brokers on one side doing the deals you've got growth consultants out there you know helping business set up but there's a bit in the middle which has been missed which is this exit planning industry to create the structure in it so that businesses can come to succession plus and know that if i come through this process you're going to help me create a business that is more valuable de risked because I, for, for me and the other people and also it's a more fun place to work. And there's, a, there's more of a certainty of getting my business away at the end of the day, as opposed to the 10 to 40% of businesses that don't sell that they've been groomed already to build the business. So there's a real process in that in terms of this exit planning industry that doesn't exist, but it's it's needed by the sound of it, really needed.
1: Well, we think so, and that's why we started.
0: <clears throat> yeah, And, and, and I, I think it is, you know, going, I mentioned MBA earlier, going back, um, which is what really he worries me when I want to say is going back 20 years when I did my MBA in my MBA I did a project and I was funded to do my MBA by a small company there were just five of us in it we I'd come out of the automotive industry and the owner of that business uh, funded the MBA or part of the MBA and he said as a result of this I want you to do a project on the business and that business was, how do we sell the business and at that time I had 10% of that business um, what I didn't realize is that, that was 10% verbally um, which I didn't know that I was naive at the time um, But I came to the end of my MBA project, which took a year. It was a year's worth of work went into it. And I realized the business had no value because the value sat within the owner. Everything had to go across his desk to make sure it was signed off. Um, There were no contracts with with employees, literally. There were no contracts with suppliers, no contracts with customers. It was always done on a handshake. Um, But I concluded at the end of that that my 10% was worth zero. And the business had no value in it at that time. We were turning over Best part of half a million to 750,000 at the time. I now know that the business actually sold 19 years later because it sold last year. Um, I wasn't going to hang around for 19 years. But actually what I'm hearing there is, you know, that was the process I went through. And I saw this firsthand that you know, we had no way of doing. It. I went to talk to brokers and financiers at the time about what, what we would do when we did sell it. But that other bit didn't exist. I was trying to create it. So you've almost got that missing link that I was looking for in 2001. Better late than never, right? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like
1: it. Okay. So you're absolutely right, Phil. There, there is a missing link. Yeah. And there's a, if you go around the industry, there's a lot of professionals out there, service providers. And you'll see on their website, they'll go, we do this, we do this, we do this, and we can do exit planning. Yeah.
0: yeah. Now,
1: when you dig below that, that means they guided a, a client through the process once, you know, or, or maybe several times. But they don't have a process. They don't have their six-step IP, if you like, or they don't have the 21 steps. They just go, look, we've done it before. We know what we're doing. Trust us. We've been on this journey, which is well and good, but you're now dependent on that person. Whereas what we're saying is, you know, like all industries that evolve, we we need a standardized formula for doing it. And, And, you know, what is it that makes a business worth more? Well, we can tell you that. We can have a look at, you know, through various tools and go, we know what makes a business worth more. Okay. And it's not just a case of he he get your finances in order and you have your budgets and your cash flow and your you know your your, your organizational chart and your job job descriptions and put all these compliance and governance stocks in a in a data room and you know it's all good. Well, sure, that's half of the process. Mm. But what we want to do is we want to be able to look through the goodwill value.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and go how do we increase the goodwill value so that we don't get it chipped down? We want to yeah. chip it up.
0: <clears throat> yeah. I like that, and that's the key bit. it comes back to that intangible with us—that goodwill bit you talked about earlier. It's the culture, it's the structure in it that actually makes it worth value. Um, so you've got you've got a lot of business owners out there at the moment. A lot of people have come through pandemic. A lot of people, you know, looking forward to to the twenties, as we you know. My expectation is that the economy is going to grow at some stage, and you know we're going to come off the back of the, the COVID pandemic and things will start to go again. Um, business owners are going to want to be doing exits, you know, back, exiting at some stage. So we said there that you know, they typically wouldn't be able to find you if they just went in looking for, for exit planning. But how do, you, how do you market what you do in that case? What's the process to get the succession plus name out there to all those business owners who want to think about selling in the next four, five, six years' time?
1: So, yeah, great question, Phil. Uh, we, we've got a bit of an ecosystem because what we do is project manage and we don't do everything ourselves. Like getting a business and a business owner exit ready Needs, you know, the needs of the owner to get on top of the finances of the organization. They need to have the finance function under control. So we work with our accountants and finance directors to to you know, partner up with there as well. Okay. We also need to make sure that the, the business, the founders have their personal financial affairs in order. So they work, we work with IFAs and, and, and yeah. wealth managers and, and financial planners there as well. We need okay. to have the governance and compliance sorted out. So we'll work with solicitors to make sure that, you know, that there's shareholder agreements in place and, uh, you know, that, that there's contracts in order and that everything is is transparent and predictable, unlike your mate who you did every deal on a handshake, which is just totally vulnerable. You don't know where yeah. you stand. Vulnerable equals risk.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we work with a whole lot of partners and we've got our ecosystem and, and you know, We've got some great corporate finance people out there that uh, we know and you know, modern merchant banks and uh, a couple of others I'm just thinking through that we work in partnership with. And you know, so we get some direct referrals and we've got a lot of content. We've got a YouTube channel, um, Succession Plus UK, which has got a lot of content and, and we promote that. We've got a website, successionplus.co.uk, which uh, we've got a lot of content and, and articles and white papers on there because our focus is we understand that we need to educate the market what it means to be exit ready.
0: Yeah. And exit
1: yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to exit
0: today. Yeah. And not interesting, I heard that word educate. You've got to do the education so people realize what they've got to be done. So that's a great point, just to
1: pick Yeah. Up. And we've also got a podcast like you, we've got a podcast called Exit Insights where we're talking to all sorts of people, and I hope you don't mind me putting a, a shameless plug uh, on your podcast, but uh, we're talking to all sorts of people who contribute to the exit planning industry, as well as business owners who've already left their business and exited their business. Okay. We, we get their stories as well, so we get them to share. Because what we've learned or, or the awareness piece is, let's say you know it's three years. It's going to take you three years to prepare yeah. for exit. You can do that three years before the transaction or you can do that three years after the transaction. And after the transaction is is what's commonly known as an earnout, and it's much higher risk. If you do that three years preparation, preparing your business for exit before the transaction, you're gonna increase the valuation and then your your, your three years after that are gonna be a whole lot less
0: stressful. Yeah, that's just reiterating that point in that case. You're going to do it one way or the other yeah, You can either do it afterwards when it's out of your control or you can do it before when it's in your control and you can manage it and de-risk it. And there's no, there's no such thing as guaranteed certainty. But either way, what you're saying is after the event, it's definitely not guaranteed. Before the event, you've got more control of the certainty of the guarantee. Therefore, to me, it's a no-brainer. You might as well do this early and, uh, and go through the process because actually you're making your business, as you said earlier, better place to work, more fun, less stress. All those things come into it to make actually the business is more predictable as you go forward.
1: And we just keep coming back to de-risking.
0: Yeah. If I want to
1: exit on my terms, I need to be prepared.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and, and a lot of business owners come to me and go, well, Daryl, look, I'm just, you know, I'm building my business. I'm growing it. And one day someone will come to me and they'll make me an offer and that's on my terms. And I go, you're dreaming, aren't you?
0: Yeah.
1: And I go, hey, wait, what? Well, if they come to me, I'm, uh, it's my terms. And I go, no, it's not. If they come to you, they're calling the shots. You're just reacting. How is it on your terms? And if you're not exit ready, you don't have the finances. So they go, okay, well, give us the history. Let's sign an NDA. NDA. Let's sign a heads of of terms. Well, I haven't got all that ready. Well, I thought you said you're doing it on your terms. Yeah. You're not exit ready. So if you're not exit ready, if you are exit ready and they come to you, you, go, bang, let's go. And then you're in a position to react quickly. And every time they make a request for information, when you sign up head to terms and you go through due diligence, you've got the information there ready to go. And you go, here's what you want. Oh, and you want this as well. You put them on the back foot and then they can't start chipping away at your price.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think that's the key thing, is it? Because you say it isn't all about money, but actually this is probably one of the biggest financial transactions most people will do in their lifetime when they're running their business. Therefore, you might as well get it right and actually have some, some control of that potential future and therefore price if someone's knocking you down on price and you can say "Actually, no, this is what it's worth you've probably got other people in the wings waiting to go and buy it as well that's it Phil. yeah i love it love it (laughs) so it sounds like a a, a no-brainer process you know and and you and i've talked about this for a long time in terms of where things are um and I i love that point about you know you're going to do it anyway you're going to go through the risk process therefore control it um people take time to do it so three years up front is actually worth doing because otherwise it's three years up after the event where you've no control. Um, and in, and the bit I'm also hearing as well is, you know, you're building commercial successful businesses, but also you're building cultural business where it's fun, less stressful as well. So business owners are gonna get more out of it. Even if they decide not to sell, the business is worth more in the long-term.
1: Yeah, look, and on that cultural play, a lot of businesses are considering employee ownership now. Okay. So- we're seeing more exit strategies where they're going, well, actually, I want to leave it to the employees. Yeah. How do I How do I get the most of my life's work? How do I set myself up financially and, and, and create a mechanism for the employees to take over in a way that's fair? I don't want to give up everything. I don't want to give it away. That hardly seems fair. I've taken all this risk and run it for all these years. I've built some capital value. But... Likely, yeah. Uh, likewise, you know, the employees often don't have money in the bank, you know, that they can buy the business. How do I cr- construct something that's fair? Yeah. So that's something we're looking at more and more. And there are some really attractive propositions there to, to make that work for clients.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot about this. and I think employee ownership is one, one thing a lot of people have been talking out there because you know at the end of the day, they don't therefore necessarily have to sell the business. They can step away but still still maintain some relationship with the business as well. So it yeah. implies another way of funding future retirement.
1: Yeah, and you've got friendly buyers, so so the deal can be um, easier. There can be some nice tax advantages, um, but it's just a case of we've got to make sure that we're not that we're doing it for the right reasons, and it is part of our strategic objectives to go. This is the best option for the business, the the employees, the shareholders slash stakeholders. Yeah, and it's the best option for the founders.
0: Yeah, perfect. Like the customers which are stakeholders yeah they're safe at the end of the day so no, we're coming towards the end of our, our allotted time in that case just make sure that we, we we keep listeners interest up um one question in on my mind in that case if you were to come up with three to five tips for a business owner, i'm running my business now what are the three to five tips someone needs to be thinking about right now if they want to exit their business in the future and that could involve bringing you in as well but what are those three to five tips that you would say you've got to do this and those might be the three to five tips you would to give the younger Garrett if you were running a business as well.
1: I think document your plan. So, yeah. so know where the assets are in your business. Yeah. So think about your business from an asset perspective as opposed to a revenue generating machine. Yeah, okay. Um, so know where your assets are so you can build the assets and build the value of the business. Yeah, yeah, great one. Um, if I'm looking at planning and exiting the business, and I know I want to get out in three years, and if I'm talking about my my perpetual three year horizon, actually yeah. put my plan in place and go, what do I need to achieve this quarter to get me out in three years time?
0: Yeah,
1: okay. What's my management yeah. information system that means that I can break it right down to go, what do I have to do today to make sure that I'll, I'll get my valuation and get my exit in three years time? Yeah, yeah.
0: love uh, that. Especially the quarterly quarterly rolling. 90 day plans effectively yeah exactly yeah.
1: But, but i've got to i've got to start at the end in mind and, and dial it back so i know what i'm trying to achieve and 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 see if that's feasible um
0: love it and we mm. all
1: know that you know yeah you know, yeah you know, god loves a plan and and you know what have you but and, and it'll never and it'll never last but if you've got a plan in place it's easier to change direction than it is to um you know make a start
0: yeah love it love it so document your plan plan in those 90 day day-to-day quarters in that case um anything else you'd recommend as final tip yeah give us a call yeah that's the one i was hoping for. Well, there we go All right. <laughs> it sounds like yeah exactly give them a call well, we'll
1: give us a call we'll go to our website look we we know that you yeah, know not everyone's going to be ready for us but we've got a lot of information on the website that can get you started. We put all of our IP on there, um, that and, and YouTube channel where we talk about it. Um, so, look, if you're not ready, at least let get there and start your research process by by downloading some material and and um, and, and starting your education process, figuring out what it is you need to do. Because there's not just one exit option. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. A trade sale is well, it's a nice option, but it's it's if you're looking to maximize value, that's not the way to go. Yeah, because a competitor only wants to pay the least amount. Yeah. So, so we need to consider your options and get your plan if you want to do it on your terms.
0: Yeah, love it, love it. So there's lots of we, we've talked about loads of different things here. And I think that you know the, the overriding thing I'm hearing there is um, p- planning up front, getting the, 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 the process in place of, you know, you might as well put the three years in now as opposed to three years after. So you've got something that's worthwhile building the culture of the team building the the intangibles up, you know, talk about the supplier list, the contacts, the process, the staff, the training, the cultural elements that you'd never considered before, but actually that's adding value to it. And also realistically, you know, how do you build some IP around a a, a proposition IP as opposed to the traditional product IP? So you've got something that the customer's willing to pay for, but actually from a succession plus, it's all around that IP is the key thing. How do we create IP in my business, which gives it more value long-term?
1: I think IP is a really big one for, for making it easy for owners to exit their business yeah. um, and know that the value is still there Yeah, because it's just making the business more resilient um, and, and it helps them move away from selling hourly rates. Yeah, It's so hard because when they're selling hourly rates, you know, hours become the commodity and, and customers ask, I had someone the other day asking me, well, what, what are your rates? I said, my rates for what? I don't even know what I'm doing for you. Like let's, let's create some context.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. That's great. We've it. has been a lovely conversation. Um, if there's anything else, what, what have we missed? What's the what's the other thing? If you have to put one more piece in there, is there anything else or have we covered everything for this episode? I think we've covered a, a, a fair bit. Um it, it, we'll leave we'll leave a bit there for you if yeah. we want to do
1: this again. But yeah, next time. Context, contrast uh, you know, are my the things I look for and create in communications for clients. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Um,
1: yeah. So, yeah, know, IP, uh, all, all of the things that we've talked about today are in contrast to what the rest of the industry is or isn't doing. Yeah. So hopefully that means that it looks different to everyone else. Yeah. Okay. It, it's snowing out here today. You know, the snow is different to summer. Not that we had a summer this year. We're in the UK after all. But, you know, you need the contrast. You, you, you need to, you, you only appreciate the summer if you have a winter.
0: Yeah. A great one. Lovely way to finish it in that case. Very philosoph- philosophical as well in that case. Um, so, Daryl Bates-Brownsword, thank you. You gave us a couple of addresses earlier in terms of where people can uh, pick up the details of Succession Plus and find out more. You talk about Succession Plus UK on the YouTube and SuccessionPlus.co.uk on the uh, website as well. Any other contact details worth handing out or is that the lot?
1: Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, there's only one Daryl Bates-Brownsword, so that'll be easy to find. Um, but yeah.
0: That's what... Well. I've got a link in the show notes so you can pick it up. So, Daryl Ray Succession Plus. Thank you very much. Great conversation. And I hope owners listen to what you're saying there and realise actually you can plan your exit ahead of time. And it makes a lot more sense if you do it now rather than later. Because as Daryl said, the best time to plant a tree was 200 years ago. The second best time is now. So do it now. Thanks, Daryl. Thanks, Phil. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed you recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks by Agenian podcast. So please, go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about... What actions do you want to take? Because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.